0: In two, one. Welcome back to another episode of the hottest podcast on the planet. This is And Another Thing. My name is Jody Jenkins.
1: And I'm Tony Clementa. And my recent research indicates that we're number 32 in Liechtenstein. Oh, we've gone up over there. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, no, that was before it was Lesotho. This is the totally oh. different, totally different principality.
0: <laughs> well, we're we're huge all over. It's just, it's like you know what's the saying? A runaway freight train. That's what this podcast is like. It's, A rolling
1: stone. It, yes, down, it continues.
0: No it continues to gain speed. It continues to mow down other podcasts in their path in our path. Uh, it's actually, you know, quite frankly, it's getting quite embarrassing for some of the other podcasts. If I'm being, I, I you know, completely uh, look, honest, look,
1: uh, there's there's probably about a hundred thousand podcasts yep. in Canada. There's over a million in the U.S. of A. So it's a very, I know it's it's a space where we're all competing for the the eyes and ears. And thank you to our devoted listeners for being part of our family. Uh, but, yeah, we're, we're, we're great, and everybody else sucks. Let's, let's put it on the it's table. Like,
0: it's like one of those uh, – it's like that saying, Tony, where someone could come up and give us a compliment by saying, hey, I listen to your podcast – or, sorry, out of all the podcasts I listen to, you guys are one of them. <laughs> I'll take that. Faint praise. <laughs> anyway. Okay, let's start with COVID-19. I think that's a, a fair place to start. This episode, just so people know – is Tony and I, we're just going to ramble back and forth and banter and go over some topics because apparently, according to the researchers, listeners like that. So we're going to give them a little bit of what they uh, of what they crave, but we're going to start with COVID-19. And two things I want to say off the top, Tony, and I would love to get your take, and then we'll go down the rabbit hole wherever it takes us, but the Trinity Bellwoods Park, I think we're like a month removed from that now. And if you can yeah. recall... Doug Ford, Mayor Tory, so the Premier and the Mayor, and, you know, I think Patrick Brown even chimed in, and leaders were chiming in about the selfishness, the disregard for human life by the 10,000 people that went to Trinity Bellwoods. And when this spikes and causes chaos, you know, we'll all be able to point at you and say, I told you so. And, of course, that never happened. So. There are exactly <laughs> zero,
1: zero cases that have come out of the Trinity Bellwoods Park uh little uh, jamboree that happened there and by the way as far as i am aware there are zero cases as a result of the black lives matter pl- protests as well so i think the lesson has got to be well first of all people overreacted i mean keepers creepers the, yeah. these people they, they wanted to have some fun and some some socializing uh, apparently when the patios opened uh, recently in toronto uh, because they're into uh, stage two now, or phase two, uh, at 12.01 a.m. Wednesday morning, some of the patio, patios were full. So it does, doesn't that tell you people wanted to socialize a little bit? Yeah. But zero cases attributable to those mass events outside. They're outside events. I'm not saying this is true if you're, if you're uh, cloistered inside in a, in a confined space with someone without a mask for a long period of time. That might be uh, a bit riskier, but uh, certainly these outside events, uh, there's been no uh, negative consequences for public health, which is good news.
0: And quickly on that, Tony, because I know you have brought that up to me before, that outdoor events seem to have uh, little to no negative impact. Could you make a case for outdoor concerts? yeah you
1: see the, the, i wonder because obviously an outdoor concert is going to be two or three hours so that's longer than just casually brushing by someone outside but i, I think that, that they've got to start to do some data uh data crunching on this because uh look I, i'm invested i i am a consumer of live music much of it outdoors so i do want to see it back i do want to see uh, bans earning money again on, on the patios of the nation. Uh, so yes, but I, I to me now, the evidence is starting to pile up that uh, casually brushing aside someone closer than a meter uh, at one of these events is fairly low risk. Uh, that is not how COVID is, uh, uh, is being uh, passed uh, into the community. So uh, I think we should be aware, just as we we're aware at the beginning of, of how we didn't know all the answers to COVID and therefore we locked down everything, which is something I still agree with, by the way, uh, but because we didn't have the answers. Now that we are starting to get the answers, I think we have to start to modify some of these rules. Now in the UK, by contrast, they've just announced the opening of all their pubs and restaurants inside because they've reduced the two meter rule to a one meter rule. And uh, so uh, they uh, have deemed that that is safe to do that as long as there are other things in place like barriers or masks or that kind of thing. And we should also remember that the World Health Organization rule is a one-meter rule, not a two-meter rule. So at some point here in Canada, should we not query why we're still at a two-meter rule? Even though most Canadians are content with the two-meter rule, it's hard for our businesses, our restaurants and our pubs uh, to reopen Uh, with a two-meter rule in effect. It's just almost impossible to, uh, to survive with that in effect. So a lot of these things are happening around the world at different speeds and different junctures. I get that. But all I can say is, you know, Canada... Although we're better than the United States in many Canadians' points of view, we're not doing as well as many other countries like Australia, New Zealand, or Korea, or Taiwan. So let's get the chip off our shoulders, Canadians, and actually look at the evidence and try to rescue an economy that is going to be hurting for some time to come.
0: Yeah, and you made some good points. And I've been following this. We've all been following this quite closely. And, you know, I have some concerns about a lot of things, including the way the media. Is covering this, and I just wanted to share one particular story that came out uh, just a couple of days ago about the first individual under the age of nineteen that died because of COVID, or at least that's the way it was presented. And, and look, death is—it sucks, and I feel bad for the family. But once you dig into the story, I read the story because I'm always—I'm kind of like I've said this before. It was kind of like, whoa, geez, now that—that's—that's that's getting serious. Now, then you read the story, and the doctor said the death was due to complications not related to covid but the individual actually tested positive for covid when they died so that was that to me that's i don't know i i'm not gonna i don't want to say completely the media is misleading but that seems like fake news to me
1: well here here is the toronto star headline uh i'm paraphrasing only slightly when they said that the youngest person died with covid with covid yeah not of covid so they were technically correct, but for the casual
0: reader oh, yeah, exactly. who didn't delve into the story, exactly.
1: they would have thought that a person nineteen, under 19 died of COVID, and that's just not true.
0: Yeah, yeah. And there's been, you know what, there's been many, many cases of that. There was another young gentleman who passed away in the States, and I'm sure there's lots of examples of this, but the one, I, I read the article because the individual's mother said, how could a boy so healthy you know pass away like this anyway and again i'm not trying to be negative against but the the child was i would looked obese the child was also found to be the infection that had set in revealed that there was like type 1 uh, juvenile diabetes his blood sugar was off the charts and he happened to have covid so my point being that i find that the media builds these fearful narratives around even the smallest shred of anything that has to do with COVID nineteen, and I, I think it's I think it's I think it's bad. I don't think it's proper. And I mean, well, I
1: the, the fact is, if you have a what is called a comorbidity, if you have diabetes, if you have heart disease, uh, these things can make a case of COVID a lot tougher for you, and indeed could make it fatal for you if you're say over the age of forty five or what have you. Uh, but at some point, uh, you know, where does the risk? Where does your risk stop and my risk start is the question I would ask at this point. Because, uh, yes, we want to save everybody that we can. Absolutely. And, yes, we were willing to do extraordinary things like lockdown our economy, stay at home as much as possible to the, reduce the risk of everyone. But at that point, I may judge my risk to be not that high. Yeah. Because I, I live in Muskoka. We've had 22 cases in the, in the whole district. Uh, I'm outdoors all the time. There's nobody else outdoors because we've got a lot of space. So what, why should my life be so overturned? At some point, let's protect the people who are vulnerable and the rest of us get on with our jobs. And I would make that point now.
0: Yeah, and in our, our health unit region here, Prince Edward Hastings, where I am, we haven't had a case, I'm going to say, in over six weeks, probably a month and a half. And, you know, even when I'm out, I have a mask that I bring, but I I hardly ever wear it unless unless people really ask me to or whatever, because I'm the, the light. The reality is, is that it's just not here. And that's not to say I'm being complacent and dismissing it. I'm just being it's realistic. It's just it's not here. So if you social distance, stay home when you don't feel well, wash your hands, you know, and if you feel to wear a mask, then go ahead. But literally, we shouldn't see massive spikes here. Even with people visiting, I would say I know a lot of like here people are concerned about you know Prince Edward County. All oh, the people from Toronto are going to come. Well, guess what? They've probably been coming for the last four weeks, and they oh, they've been they, there for yeah. for a couple of months. Yeah, probably, and they haven't. And we and the haven't seen have a spike since March, and there's been no spikes here. I don't know about where you are, but there's been no spikes here. So.
1: No, no spike as a result of that yeah. that can be attributed to that so, yeah, so well we if we get a case it's one case or two cases a week that's about it so
0: i just quickly on this because i don't want to yeah. keep going on the covid thing but i want to get your your thoughts your take on what is going on in florida because every time you know every time a couple extra cases show up in ontario people just instantly flip their finger over to florida or arizona or in somewhere in the states and say this is what we're trying to avoid now i'm I'm thinking there's a lot more going on down there than what we probably know. Like, I've heard everything from a lot of these counties that are being exposed, didn't even really get anything during the first initial uh, wave, if you want to call it. So this is actually their first exposure. But I, I'd be curious to know what you're hearing and your thoughts on it.
1: Yeah, what, I, what I'm what i picking up is, and the, what the data reveals is, uh, areas that were more rural in the united states that missed out on the first round are getting it bad in the second round and that areas that got hit hard like new york city are continuing to show improvement so it could be just a a, the regular flow of the virus Um, having said that uh, it it was always going to be the case that when you emerge from a complete lockdown situation almost like a stay in place order there was going to be some more cases. You can't avoid having a few more cases. Exactly. So why everyone's running around like headless chickens, thinking, oh my gosh, there are more cases after we've opened up. Yeah, that was always going to be predicted. The only alternative is to stay locked down forever, which uh, is not feasible. So uh, the fact is, as you open up, there will be some hot spots. I'm not saying general spikes across the entire country, but there will be hot spots. And you deal with the hot spots. That's what what public health is supposed to do. If there's a hot spot, you deal with it. But it doesn't mean that the rest of us are punished uh, in other parts of the country that don't have hot spots going
0: on. Do you know? I mean, I got to talk about this too, and I got to tie it into Ontario and, of course, with politics and with Trump too. But, like, okay, let's go back. And we've talked about this. So, There's protesters on the lawn at Queen's Park about opening the economy. This was months ago. Ford gets very upset, calls them selfish, and whatever. Trinity Bellwoods Park, we always touched on it. We already touched on that. They're crazy, no regard for human life. Uh, Protests, rallies happen, crickets. Then Trump (laughs) wants to have a rally, and all of a sudden it's like, this is so dangerous and selfish, and no regard for human life. And then... Just last weekend, I think, at the Toronto Beach, there was pictures of people at the beach, and Ford again goes off on them. It's just so inconsistent, and I get what it is. It's completely political. I understand that, but doesn't that just provide more fodder for individuals that are on the fence about this whole thing to just look at the politicians and go, well, they're not taking it seriously. What do I I care?
1: Yeah, and I think that's what's happening. People are looking at the general situation where there are outdoor activities happening, whether they're protests or, or patios or whatever, or make makeshift patios before the phase two was reached. And uh, there's, you know, people are making their own assessments, their own judgments, their own risk. We do that in our, our lives every single day that we are alive. We yeah. make risk assessments. Should I cross the road now with the oncoming tractor trailer? No, maybe I should wait. That's a risk assessment. Yeah. We do it all the time. So it, it should come as no surprise that people are making assessments about COVID and are coming to different conclusions than their political masters are, and um, that's why we should be helping the most vulnerable and and the ones who would suffer the most if they got COVID, and the rest of us get back to work and uh, uh, carry on with our lives. That's my that's my assessment as an expert. But uh, I believe that that is what they're doing in the UK. And they do have a, a panel of scientists there. That's what they did in Italy. That's what they've done in Austria. That's what they did in Australia. And uh, so uh, if you don't have to take my word for it, to look around the world a little bit and you'll see why how Canada is doing it differently. And I would say not so much better, to be honest with you.
0: Okay, Tony, I know that you yes. wanted to chat about... Well, I have a couple topics. You have China, Canada, we have... Trump's approval ratings and I think you have Trudeau's real record. So where do you want to go first?
1: Well, I I first want to get a rant on about the toppling of statues. Oh
0: yes, yes, In, I want to do I So
1: I cannot for the life of me understand why the United States, well I do know why. But let me put it that way. Why are the presence of Confederate statues, why that was tolerated for so long. I mean, there was a Civil War. 400,000 Americans died in the Civil War. The the, the Union side, the North, won the Civil War. And then in the decades after the reestablishment of the union in the south they tolerated all these confederate statues being erected robert e lee and jefferson davis all these all these uh, inveterate uh generals and and political leaders of the confederacy Uh, to me it's not controversial why were they there in the first place i don't have any problem with society deciding that it's time to remove those statues put them in a Put them in the in the back end of a museum or what have you, but they they don't have to be in the public square. That's the first thing I say, because the Confederacy that idea lost in a, in a war that was very uh, you know very dear in terms of loss of life for for America. So I get that, and obviously it was as a result of the Jim Crow period in the United States history. I know why it happened, but it shouldn't be the rule forevermore. That's my opinion. I draw the line there. Because uh, defacing uh, all these other statues, like the uh, the black all black militia that fought for the Union side in the Civil War, that statue was defaced. Um, Andrew Jackson, President Andrew Jackson, they nearly toppled that statue. He was not very. His record was terrible when it came to the indigenous populations of the United States. I get that. Uh, but, but at the same time, he was he was a two-term president of the United States. Uh, Winston Churchill. Well, he didn't have very good views about uh, other races. We know that. Uh, but uh, it, as, as my friend Daniel Hannon, a guest on our program, tweeted out when they were defacing the Churchill statues in Westminster Square in London, he said, if you don't like Churchill, you should have seen the other guy, i.e. Adolf Hitler. Right. You know, he, he, he fought the yeah, biggest yeah, yeah. racist in the history of the world, sometimes alone, sometimes alone. Yeah. And so you have to put things in proper historical context, which is not happening here. So I just I just hope that that this whole thing is gotten off on this tangent about toppling statues when there's there are issues to address. That isn't it as far as I'm concerned, except in the case of the Confederate statues. I, I just don't understand why. Those were left to stand for as long as they did. So that's my that's my two cents on that. Trump and the polls. I've been following the polls very closely. Uh let's not forget that ninety eight percent of the polls in twenty sixteen were predicting a Hillary Clinton smashing victory. Uh she did win the popular vote, to be fair, but Uh, Elections in the United States uh, for president are not one on the popular vote. They're they're one in the Electoral College. If you don't like the Electoral College, that's your opinion. But that's how they're elected until that that system is is constitutionally changed. And the fact is, once again, Trump is behind the polls. He's behind more than a, a statistical glitch. He's behind uh, Biden by 10 or 12 points nationally. Uh, He's also behind in the states he has to win, but not nearly by as much. I just looked up the the polls in the state of Michigan, which Trump won last time. He's behind Biden, but by one point. Yeah. Uh, You know, he's ahead in Texas. By a couple of points, he's ahead in Georgia by a few points. Uh, he's behind in Pennsylvania, but only by a couple of by by a half dozen points. So when you look at that situation, you know it's it's a long way before election day. Uh, I can still see a path for victory for Trump, even though his disapproval level is around fifty five to sixty percent of the population. So uh, I would just uh, encourage people. I know everybody gets excited about the U.S. polls. oh, Trump is behind by twelve points or whatever. Uh, that's half the story. It's not the full story.
0: Well, and I would say that there is still a large chunk of individuals who don't share where they are uh, as far as on the ballot, because there. I, I still think there's a lot of Trump supporters or people that would vote for Trump that wouldn't come out and tell you that for fear of, of being Uh, for any repercussions because we know that in the,
1: in the mainstream media in the United States or uh, um, in certain social circles, it's not socially acceptable to be a Trump supporter. That's right. So, and, and you, you hear this all the time. Uh, Again, I'm, I'm, I'm not a voter in the U S election. So this is not about who I would support. It's just saying that, you know, you hear all the time, people saying, I can't, I don't know why anyone would vote for Donald Trump. You know, why, why would you say that? Of course, people are going to vote for Donald Trump. Maybe not enough to, for Trump to get reelected. But this whole attitude that you can't even foresee a reason that lying, would vote for some politically opposed. Yeah. Uh, how, how is that civil uh, political discourse? It may, it, again, it makes no sense to me. We have to learn to understand. Why do you, it's like me saying, I can't imagine why anyone would, would vote for Trudeau. Yeah. Well, actually, I can't imagine why yeah. some people would vote for Trudeau I may disagree with them. But for me to say, you're not even allowed to express an opinion unless you agree with me that Trudeau is, is wrong for Canada. That's not political discourse anymore. Yeah. It's trying to shout people down. And that, that isn't why, that isn't how a healthy democracy is uh, is protected in our country or elsewhere.
0: Yeah, no, you're exactly right. All right. So we have Trudeau's real record and or China, Canada.
1: Yeah, well, I I guess I was riffing on the same thing and I'd love your point of view on this, but it was a very bad week again for uh, the two Michaels who were incarcerated in China. Which we've now admitted for the first time as a political incarceration. And uh, 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 Trudeau was very disappointed, in, in quotation marks, when they were charged by the Chinese with, uh, with uh, espionage. Uh, so there's no resolution that in sight, uh, apparently. Uh, and uh, it goes to, again, the, the differential that I see, and I'd love your point of view on this, Jody, between Justin Trudeau who, again, talks a good game, and the actual results that uh, he can, um, uh, you know, uh, lay claim to as a political leader. And certainly Canada-China, the relationship is very, very poor. Uh, I would lay some of the blame of that, of course, on China, uh, but I don't think we've handled the relationship terribly well either. Uh, And that goes across to many other international relationships like uh, Canada-India, Canada-Japan, Uh, Canada, uh, Australia, and all of that added up to a loss for the Security Council seat that uh, Justin Trudeau had been coveting for over five years. So I just encourage people, uh, you know, there's, I understand the political logic of, you know, who feels, if you feel good about a leader, you want to vote for him. But at the the same time, he has a record now, uh, and, uh, he, he should be able to stand on that record and defend the record or not. And, uh, we have to get to that level of political discussion at some point. What do, what do you think?
0: Yeah. I mean, I would, I would tend to agree. And look, I mean, you're a longtime conservative. I'm i I'm a conservative. Um, I don't know where I fall as far as, uh, the deepness of blue these days when it comes to being a conservative, just cause I get, uh, upset with some of the stuff we do, but look here's how I look at it, and I've said this to you before. I think the average voter looks at Trudeau and his government and says, sees that they're not doing anything horribly wrong in their eyes, and I'm talking about the average voter that is not digging away and researching, like, say, you or I would, or a staffer or a par- someone on Parliament Hill. I also think that the average voter looks at, uh, I'll use Andrew Shear just because he's the leader, at Andrew Shear and the Conservatives and hears whining about Uh, you know, we need to sit in person more or we need to have more meetings or we need like just trivial things that appears to be trivial, but doesn't, isn't really something that people are caring too much about. And I, and I get it, but I think the conservatives, we've lost our way on what we need to focus on. And I, you know, I'll say right now, if there was an, well, we know this, I think I'm pretty confident if there was an election today, uh, I think the liberals win, no problem. And I'm not so sure that that won't change in the months to come. So,
1: yeah, I wouldn't. uh, I wouldn't like. Let me say it is for opposition parties to get the oxygen they need to um, have a counter narrative when we're in the midst of a crisis, and most of the public despite what you think and what I think, they still think we're in the midst of a COVID crisis. So, and we're st- certainly in the midst of an economic crisis. Yeah. And so uh, people's point of view is all about that. COVID, my personal safety and economic safety. So all the other stuff about how many sittings parliament has, and uh, you know, whether CERB, whether somebody's uh, misusing CERB, that's all background shatter for most people. They want to know, can I live... I wake up next morning in a safe environment and uh, uh what's my economic future and that's and that that goes to show despite virtual being power
0: yeah
1: is strength so and, and the other problem of course is that they don't have a bloody ear you know andrew fear is a caretaker yeah uh, and no one's going to listen to him anymore. no offense to what he's saying it's just the reality of the situation so until we get a new leader and start to position our leader on the issues of the day They're they are going to look lost because they are. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, that wraps up another episode, Tony, as always, uh, really appreciate all the research you did on this one. Cause you carried the load as far as topics. Well,
1: and another thing, I got another thing. Okay, sure. Do, go I ahead. I want to recommend, uh, the doc, the two pre Canyon. Uh, which is on my Crave channel. Uh, it's a tribute on all of the wonderful music that was created between 1965 and 1975 in that neighborhood of Los Angeles, where all of the great musicians lived. Whether it was David Crosby or Joni Mitchell, then to the Eagles, uh, the Birds, uh, Crosby, Snatch and Young. Bill Young was there, so got some Canadian content. And just through through. through uh, uh footage and uh, still photography of day you got to live through a very special period of uh, musical and social history so i would recommend the documentary uh laura kenya and uh you know uh, for me it was nostalgic for people younger than me uh, it might be revelation about uh, the uh the amazing music that was put out at that time
0: was snoop dogg in that one or is that before? no
1: oh, that was before didn't have but you know, uh, and there were uh, there were uh, black politicians. Uh, sorry, not black. Black musicians <laughs> that were part of it. Yeah. Um, but but you know, uh, and uh, uh, some of those mixed race bands couldn't get gigs. Oh wow. Because uh, the uh, used didn't want to have black performers in the venue. Wow. And uh, so they they suffered as a result of that. And then there was the protest age that was going on, 68, 69, 1970. And there was a big banner at one point, End Police. So, uh, you know, for any millennials or genu- generations, as you think that this is all new, I'm sure they have this. It isn't new. It's something that we've had to wrestle with in the past. And there was a good segment on uh, Charles Manson, by the way. So if you're if you're interested in that history, a little bit more uh, there's a there's a lot in there, so I'd recommend Laurel Canyon.
0: All right, Tony. I guess we will talk in another seven days. Don't forget to subscribe and download and tell your friends. And I'm looking forward to another great show. We've got some exciting guests coming up.
1: We do. So please uh, continue to listen. We're again. We will be part of your uh, podcast uh, entertainment, and uh, we've got some great shows lined up.